brace yourself because you're about to dive into another free first hour episode of the Higher Side Chats. And we just want to let you know that whether you're looking for a companion through your paranoid insomnia, entertaining yourself through one of life's mundane activities, or trying to ward off the internal screams of all those sad, smothered souls around the office, THC is here. And you should know that every episode of the Higher Side Chats has an entire second hour for Plus members. Sign up at thehiresidechatsplus.com and you'll get years of Plus show archives, lifetime forum access, a special invite to Greg Carlwood's monthly joint sessions, MP3s of THC music, bonus episodes, four videos, and 10% off t-shirts, grinders, and whatever else ends up in the Higher Side store. It's $8 a month that you won't miss, so become a Plus member and treat yourself in these troubled times. Always action-packed and commercial-free, which means you'll unfortunately never hear my voice again. In the 1930s, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt addressed the nation through a series of radio broadcasts known as the Fireside Chats. His aim was to reassure the common man that our society would recover from its troubled times. Well, we're far from 1930, and I deal with a different kind of fire. For a new era of worldly frustration, we offer a fresh conversation. I'm Greg Carlwood, and these are the Higher Side Chats. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the little show inside the big show. From sunny San Diego, I'm Greg Carlwood, and I don't have to tell you things are bad out there. Our corporate factory food supply and petrochemical pill-pushing medical monopolies are making us sicker. Our so-called education system has been crafted to bury our youth under a mountain of debt and propaganda. The all-important human connection has been replaced by digital dopamine-driven Facebook likes and our humble attempts to make a modest living in this Rockefeller-Rothschild debt-based system of rule are often plagued with stress, disrespect, and depression. Well, these are just a few of the facts that make the case that the material world has been hijacked long ago by a cosmic, multidimensional, archonic force and their interbred bloodlines of human hybrid foot soldiers who make up the secret societies, three-letter think tanks, and secretly selected committees we find operating the big machine like Oz behind the curtain. It can be a lot to take in, but when you really dig into the suppressed sciences, the power of consciousness, and what this life could be like without the parasites of the power pyramid, it starts to make a lot of sense. Yet despite the inversion of nearly all our institutions, the ironclad control over the material world by the shadowy puppet masters of the capstone cabal, and all the other threads on the conspiratorial cardigan, we carry on. We are, after all, walking, talking vessels of infinite awareness having a human experience. Or so go the teachings of today's powerhouse guest, the great David Icke. If you're unfamiliar with David Icke, I don't know what you're doing here, but David is a former professional soccer player and sports broadcaster who eventually woke up to his true calling as the granddaddy of dot connectors, setting off a journey to educate the masses as to who and what is really controlling the world. Probably the most successful and prolific conspiratorial teacher on this island earth, he is the author of over 20 books, has produced countless DVDs and presentations, delivered a 10-hour lecture to thousands at London's Wembley Arena, and is also the subject of a new movie entitled Renegade, the first feature film about his life and work. David was absolutely critical to cracking my head wide open, and I probably wouldn't be living my best life today if it wasn't for his work. 
So let's do the damn thing. The Papa Bear of parapolitics, the great shapeshifter resistor, the truth-telling conspiratorial super scholar of the Saturn Moon Matrix, and the almighty infinite awareness educator, still beating back the Babylonian Brotherhood, the man, the myth, the legend, David Icke, my man. Welcome to the higher side. Thank you very much, Greg. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the weekly video oh. cast for subscribers to davidike.com. Um, it's been... That's... Um, that aside how are you <laughs> i'm doing well i'm all these years old and i'm still trying to work out technology <laughs> sometimes it has a life of its own but i don't have to tell you that and uh man it's just really an honor and a pleasure to be doing this your work's had a huge impact on me and what i do now you really paved the way for a lot of people and took a beating for it no doubt and when this all started for you it seemed like it was a mix of intuition psychic guidance a spiritual presence pushing you forward and direct downloads from somewhere else and it all kind of comes together to take the shape of that journey to live out your true calling that really we should all be on and obviously you've had a lot of success with it when you look back does the success sort of validate that this is the life you came here to live out what it would seem so greg because since I had my personal awakening about nearly 30 years ago, I uh, have lived a life of extraordinary synchronicity where what I was told by a, a psychic in 1990 was going to be my life from then on has turned out to be my life in the most extraordinary detail. I went to see this psychic in March 1990. Because for the year before, I had had this feeling that when I was in a room alone, I wasn't alone. There was a kind of a presence there. And as a result of that, through the, the year of, well, mostly 1989, I had this feeling and it was getting more and more powerful and more and more tangible. And then in March of 1990, I ended up, long story, again, very synchronistic in a psychic's front room and started telling me because I, I went along to the psychic and I've been to a psychic before in my life. I went along to the psychic because I wanted to see if she could pick up what the heck I was feeling around me for the previous year. And I told her nothing that it was happening to me. But very, uh, you know, I think it was the third visit. I went about four times in the end. She started telling me she was being told to tell me I was going to go out on a world stage and reveal great secrets. Hmm. And at that time, you know, I'm still a television presenter with the BBC and I, I'm not into any of this information, really. In fact, not even really, not at all. Hmm. I've always been someone who questioned authority and didn't take things on face value, but wanted to look at them from my own perspective and see if they stood up. But it's a long way from from there to what I eventually started doing. And so uh, I went to see this psychic to see if she could pick up what was happening around me. And without any prompting from me, she went into psychic mode and started telling me I was going to go out on the world stage, like I say, and reveal great secrets that one man cannot change the world, but one man can communicate the message that can change the world. And that I was going to be led to knowledge, and at other times, knowledge would be put into my mind. And all I can say, you know, we used to have an advert on British television, and the uh, the punchline of it was, it does exactly what it says on the tin. Hmm. 
Well, all I can say is, you know, what I was told that day has done exactly what it said on the tin, because from that moment, my life became this synchronistic journey of coincidence that was taking me into personal experiences, into people, into documents, into books, just this amazing synchronicity of information that was coming in multiple ways to me. And what I was being given were pieces in a puzzle. And they were pieces in a puzzle that were almost in the right order to most easily understand them. And over the years, and there's been very clear periods of certain kinds of information like when it all started after i left the psychics front room and i'm still working for the bbc at the time i started to have these synchronistic experiences which were bringing me information about what you might call the world of the five senses where i was coming across information that actually the powers that appeared to be running the world weren't actually running it and it took me into secret societies and such like, but it was all in the world of the the tangible, if you like, the five senses. Then this was in the early 1990s, and then uh, th there was a very clear move into a, a series of information and all these different phases. Once another phase came in, the other phase didn't go away. They were running concurrently, which is why I work seven days a week pulling all these different subjects together. The second phase was basically that this world is not controlled by not only the people you you don't see it's not even controlled by people who ultimately are human and so that came in again synchronistically in the most amazing way this information was coming and you know when you you have a, a subject suddenly introduced into your life and suddenly wherever you go this subject is coming at you you go abroad you go to america you go to australia that subject's still coming at you and then the crucial part for me was in around 2003, when the subject that kicked in was the nature of reality itself. What is this reality that we're experiencing? I mean, we call it a world. What is it? How do we interact with it? Who are we in our core state? We, you know, we call ourselves a name. We call ourselves a race or a, a, a nationality. But what is what is this I? What is this I beyond all that? So that kicked in. And from that understanding of the illusory nature of physical reality, so many pennies started to drop. Because once you realize this world isn't actually solid and therefore limited in what you can do with it, then you can start to understand the so-called paranormal, you can understand how certain things are possible, which appear on the face of it to be impossible. And the area that's opened up in more recent times, that the subjects that's, that's become the focus of this synchronicity, is the technological society and where it's going, and why everything seems to have the word smart in front of it, and what you know, what the AI agenda really is. So that's been basically the theme of the last 30 years is of, of basically one of the lines that came through this psychic in 1990 was 
or, or actually another one I met soon afterwards, was no need for arduous seeking. All you have to do is follow the clues. And that really sums up my life in the last 30 years. I've been following the clues that are put before me. And that's how, it, you know, if, if I'd have sat down here 30 years ago and without any force opening and shutting the doors to guide me through the maze, then I'd probably be on, be on my second book still trying to work it out. It's this synchronicity that's allowed me to put so much information together across such a vast range of subjects. Yes, doors seem to open when you're on the right path, and that seems as true for you as anyone. And so we know the world is full of problems, like you mentioned in that phase one, vaccines, GMOs, 5G, false flags, debt and war, and all the rest of the stuff in the material world. But to understand what this system even is requires a lot of context. As you say, we are infinite awareness, having an experience, and the conspiracy is to make us identify with that experience rather than our true nature. And it's a really nice idea, but it can seem a bit abstract. And I'm sure there are listeners who like the thought, but just don't feel it because, as you say, that illusion can be quite real. What would you say to make the case for them? How can we feel it if we don't tend to be energetically sensitive? Well, energetic sensitivity, as you kind of indicate there, comes from moving our perception of self-identity. Because if you self-identify with what I call the labels, your name, your life story, your race, your religion, your culture, your income bracket, you're actually self-identifying with what you're experiencing. The true I, the infinite I, is not a body. It's not a form. It is a state of being aware. So I'm sitting here now in apparently a body called David Icke. But who I am is what is having the experience that I'm currently having talking to you. That which is experiencing the experience rather than being the experience that is the true I. And when you self-identify with that level of self, then because you see yourself in expanded ways, your consciousness expands. And as your consciousness expands, you can think of it like an infinite expansion of consciousness, awareness. Um, what we call David Icke is a point of attention of that consciousness. And that point of attention can be the size of a pea, which says, I am my name, I am my job, I'm the person that works on the checkout, that's who I am. And your sense of self-identity is so small, it's so limited, that your consciousness is subsequently limited. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. And therefore, when you are self-identifying with little me, label me, you are interacting and you are accessing a very limited level of consciousness, not because you're stupid, but because literally your focus of attention is so small, that's the only consciousness you're actually using or connecting with. Once you start to re-evaluate the I and you say, I am the consciousness having the experience, I am potentially all consciousness, because we all are expressions of the same consciousness. We can be 
all of that consciousness in terms of being aware of, of that, or we can be just a tiny focus of attention, which we give a name and labels to and think that's all we are. And the difference between the two is absolutely fantastic. Because once you start to expand your self-identity, you're expanding your consciousness and your range of consciousness further and further and further into this infinite uh, field of consciousness. And you start to get insights, understandings that you don't get when you are imprisoned by labels, by imprisoned by little me and the sense of little me. So the idea of this conspiracy is to keep people in that focus of attention and self-identity with labels, because then they won't be a problem to you. They'll look to someone else to tell them what to think. They'll look to someone else because they've got the power. I'm just little me. What can I do? And what those people tend to do is just conform to the norms. They don't question them. They just conform to them because they think that, that that's what you do. But when you expand your awareness by expanding your self-identity, you don't accept norms anymore. Because as you expand your consciousness beyond the perception of what is normal, you start to get insights and understandings beyond it. You start to realize that what we consider norms, what we consider how things are, is actually nonsense. Nonsense. It's the Stone Age in terms of its limitation and its limitation of perception of reality. And what has simply happened to me, it happened in a, a massive kind of experience that I had in 1990, to start with, and then it goes on expanding, is you, you move beyond what I call the postage stamp consensus, what most people accept is normal and how things are, and oh, you mustn't step off the postage stamp because then you know, people will think you're strange or dangerous or whatever. But when you do step off the postage stamp of perception and you, you let your mind expand, you can see things, not because you're better than anyone else, but you can see things that others can't see, but others could see if they would just free themselves from the self-identity of Labels. I mean, the world is controlled by labels. I am R. I am R this. I am R that. And what you're seeing, Greg, is the way that the even the original labels are being subdivided into smaller and smaller and smaller labels. Like sexuality is being subdivided into smaller and smaller labels. And it's taking people further and further away from the true I consciousness, the more these sub labels become self identities. And, you know, people talk now about identity politics, where politics has become all about identity. Are you this race or this sexuality or whatever? And it's presented that which is manipulating humanity with infinite potential for dividing and rule and ruling and playing off the different self-identities off against each other, which is exactly what's happening. And while we're fighting among ourselves over irrelevant labels, not only are we missing out on the true nature of the I, we are playing like putty into the hands of the manipulators who are just setting us at war with each other.
And what we've got now, something you mentioned earlier, is that different self-identity sub-labels are seeking to silence other labels or not labels who say something that they don't agree with. So now we've got the target population living in these label bubbles, fighting each other for dominance and superiority, who are also seeking to silence each other for saying something or believing something they don't like. It's crazy. When you kind of expand your consciousness beyond this madness, you see it as madness. You see the world is utterly inverted and you can see where it's going. And the more that I understand about this cabal that's behind all this, its foundation of human control is manipulating and imposing the perceptions of the target population. Perception is where it all plays out. If you can get control of someone's perception, the more label focused they are, the better, then you can control their behavior. Because human behavior, what we do, what we don't do, what we'll challenge, what we won't challenge, comes from our perception of a situation. And so you control perception, you control behavior. And how do you control perception? You control information that people receive. And that explains why we're now seeing this explosion of censorship against anyone who is putting out information that's challenging what? The norms, the postage stamp perception of reality and world events. Because the idea is, in the end, this is the plan, that people ultimately will only see and hear what the system wants them to see and hear. And to reach that point, you have to eventually censor all other information that challenges that official narrative. And we're seeing it step by step by step, faster and faster now going in that direction. Because in the end, you know, you can look at the Zuckerbergs and you can look at the Brins and the Pages at Google and Alphabet. You can look at the people at YouTube owned by Alphabet, Google and all these sources of communication and information. And you can see them on one level as individual companies run by these personalities. I don't see them like that. I see them as different masks on the same face, ultimately controlled by the same force. And this censorship is not random, like Facebook decides we're going to censor that, and Amazon said we're going to censor that, and Twitter said we're going to censor that. This is coordinated censorship because it's, it's all heading to this point where there is nothing that is allowed to challenge the official narrative. And once you've got the official narrative and nothing else, you've got human perception. And from human perception, you've got human behavior. So this suppression and, and censorship of information is not just wrong on, on the level of freedom of speech. It has fundamental implications for human freedom way beyond what it may appear to be at first sight. Mm -hmm. Yes, wise words. And you're quite good at describing not only where we're going, but this waveform nature of reality and our place in it. 
And to go deeper, a major piece of the control puzzle is what you call the Saturn-Moon matrix. And we've talked about the Saturnian Brotherhood before. I think we recognize that many of the symbols we see, the black cube, the cross, the six-pointed star, the chevron, many of the symbols of Freemasonry, they are symbols of Saturn. As you've said, Satanism should be thought of as Saturnism, but in the physical sense, how could this massive celestial body go from being perhaps what some call is our original sun to being a broadcast center for a DNA-limiting control signal? Well, I mean, that's a, a massive story, which I go to in, in detail at length in the books. But the focus of the secret societies on Saturn is extraordinary. Of course, the biggest god of Rome, where much of this came out of, was Saturn. But again, you see, this is why, as I said earlier, starting to understand the nature of reality started to explain how things were possible that on the face of it would not be possible. See, if you think of it this way, if this world is solid and is in, in reality as it appears to be and as we experience it, then what you're looking at is extraordinary levels of limitation, of I can'ts, of it's not possible. But if you then look at this reality in another way, as like, say, a computer game, a virtual reality game, or a virtual reality simulation, then, of course, all you've got to do is change the codes, change the information codes, and you change the reality. And our reality is far, far, far closer to that than to solidity and it's not possible. And what we've got in the world is basically two worlds. We've got the world that most people, the vast majority of people live in, the overwhelming majority of humanity lives in, which is the perception of a solid world with space in between, of limitation, uh, uh, all those things. And then you've got another world that's manipulating that world, which understands that this reality is not like that at all, and that you are basically looking at an interactive Wi-Fi game, a virtual reality game. And what's dictating our experience is our perception. This is why control of perception is so important. It goes much deeper than even I talked about so far. See, um, Einstein, you know, talked about if you, you get the right frequency, you get what that frequency represents every time. Because everything in this reality is a frequency. Every thought is a frequency. Every emotion is a frequency. Love is a frequency. And it's very different to the frequency of hate. We talk about good and bad vibes. These are the frequencies that we are giving off. And those frequencies that we are, in effect, broadcasting are dictated by our perception. If you go into a a room where there's been a massive argument or there's been tremendous distress and depression, if you have any sensitivity, you walk into that room, you can feel it. You know, you can walk into old mansion houses, hundreds of years old, where lots of negative things have happened. You can walk in there and you can feel it. It's in the atmosphere. It's been impregnated on the energetic field by the frequencies that, that what has happened there have given off. So 
when we feel, for instance, depressed and down, we actually describe it, the state, when we say, I feel so heavy today. You feel heavy because that state of depression and anxiety and downness gives off a very low, slow frequency, dense frequency. And that density gives you the feeling, oh, I feel so heavy today. But then you have, on another day, you have a feeling of great joy. And what do people say? I feel so light today. Because joy is a very fast, high frequency, and thus your energetic field responds in that way, and you feel, literally feel light. So this perception equals frequency. You go on to the next stage, and that perceptual frequency is interacting with the infinite field of possibility and probability. And how we interact with that, because, you know, if we, we talk about we're living a simulation, but it's a interactive simulation, just like the Internet. You go on the Internet and you get information from the Internet and you get experience from the Internet. But you're also posting on the Internet. You're also changing the Internet yourself by the way that you're what you're posting and what you're doing. And it's the same with this interaction that we have with this cosmic field of possibility and probability. If you go back again to that little me, I'm just my name and my job and I've got no power, that self-identity will give off a frequency. And you will be, therefore, resonating, operating on that frequency. And that is the frequency band and the frequency level with which you are interacting with this cosmic field of possibility and probability. And therefore, you will live a very limited life. Not much will happen that's out of the ordinary. It will be a very repetitive life where things basically stay the same. And there's no, if you like, adventure. Because your self-identity of little me is giving off the frequency that is interacting with possibility and probability at that level and in that band of frequency. You, by contrast, self-identify with being all that is, has been, and ever can be having an experience. Now you are, that, that self-identity is, and that perception is giving off a very different frequency. It's giving off a frequency that is expressing that state of expanded awareness and self-identity. It's a higher frequency and it's a much more expanded frequency. Now you are interacting with possibility and probability in the cosmic field, the quantum cosmic field, in a much more expanded way. So what you manifest in that feedback loop between perception and possibility probability is a much more expanded life. A life where synchronicity happens, where coincidences happen, where bits of luck just drop in your lap at the right time. And if you talk to people who've started to awaken and started to go through this process, and I experience exactly the same myself, what they say to you, and I've talked to people about this all over the world, is that when this process starts, when this reevaluation of self and reality starts, they start to notice coincidences in their life that they didn't notice before. 
it's like they'll meet someone somewhere where you'd never expect to meet someone. Oh, my God, fancy seeing you here. What's the chances of that? All these things start to happen. And it's starting to happen because as you expand your self-identity, you expand your perception of possibility. So you're interacting with greater and greater levels of this consciousness that we're all a part of. And as a result, this interaction with possibility and probability starts to make it possible to manifest things that you were not manifesting before when you thought you were only your labels. And it all comes down in the end to perception. This is the stadium on which the whole game is played out. And the inner core of the cabal that's manipulating human society knows this. This is why the whole focus of the control system is human perception and controlling it. It's why they control the media. That's why they introduced education in the form that we have today. You come out of the womb and in next to no time, you're sitting at a desk and an authority figure representing the state is telling you what to think, what not to think, what's possible, what's not possible, what is, what isn't. And in terms of control and becoming used to control by authority, they're telling you when you can go to the toilet, when you can talk, when you can eat, when you can go home. And the whole education system is designed, although most of the people in it won't realize this, it's designed to A, start the programming of perception from the earliest possible age, and two, to get people in the mode of accepting rule by authority and imposition by authority. And then you go out into the world after all your formative years have been going through this programming system, and the same thing happens. You go out into a job. Now, instead of the teacher telling you what to do, the boss is telling you what to do. The media is telling you what to think, whereas the teacher was telling you what to think before. And if you analyze a human life from cradle to grave, it is a constant cradle to grave perceptual download of the perceptions of that the system wants you to believe. And all the way through history, if you look at it, Anyone, the Mavericks, the Renegades, in the name of my new film out in the next few days, have been targeted by authority because the Renegades, the Mavericks, are the ones that are not accepting the program. Look at the kids at school who won't accept the program, that won't conform to the program. Well, you know, oh, you know, they've got a problem. We have to give them some drugs or we'll have to get on to their parents and say we've got a problem with Johnny because he's not conforming. And so from the moment you enter this world, this system wants control of your perception. That's what it's all about. And that's why the answer is not stockpiling weapons to fight the enemy. It's taking our perceptions back and deprogramming our perceptions from a lifetime of the download. Well said. Yes, perception management is the key. That's Likely why material atheism is the dominant worldview that we're sold for smart people, because then you don't think magic is real, so it works against you. Then you don't think consciousness is real. Then you think that this is the only life we have, so you're concerned with just preserving it. And you don't even believe there could be a intergalactic, interdimensional control structure. And 
that seems to be the case. And maybe we could flesh out a little bit more about what these archonic entities really are. They live in a space outside of visible light. They can materialize in our reality, but not for very long. They feed off our low vibrational negative energy. They can't create. They can only manipulate. What else do people need to know to understand them fully and how they affect us? Well, in this kind of story I was telling earlier, the first few years of the 1990s, after I started this journey consciously, all the information coming to me, like I said earlier, was five cents information, five cents world information. Uh, talked, yeah, the secret societies, yeah, the manipulation of the world that we see, yeah. But one of the things that became clear to me very early on when I started to realize that this manipulative cabal is not something that's a, a modern phenomenon, it actually goes back centuries and centuries and more. You look at a situation where as you chart back its history, you see people, if you like, being born, coming into this world, playing a part in pushing this conspiracy on to its ultimate goal, which is to complete control and absolutely total control of uh, human perception and therefore human society, which is the end game is coming now with AI and stuff, which we'll I'm sure get into. But you've got these people, they're born, then they die, and other people, the next generation, they come along and they push the agenda on a bit further, and then they die, and then someone else comes in, the next generation pushes it on, and this is what's happened through history. And so you look at it and you think, well, there's got to be a common theme here. There's got to be a common force that basically spans all this and has overseen it. And in that period where I was contemplating this, the, the synchronicity again started to lead me into a whole new subject area. It seemed very bizarre to start with. And that is that although you can, we have the people that people call the 1%, who you can look upon as controlling the wealth and what have you and the power. But that's only happening in the human world. That's only one level of the conspiracy. You start to realize that actually beyond that and beyond human sight, which is a very narrow band of frequency, if people realize what human sight was, what we could actually see, it would be it's laughable. It's so narrow. You know, it's just a band of frequency, a very tiny band of frequency. The whole of infinity exists beyond what we can see, or the almost entirety of existence exists beyond the little band of frequency that we can see. We look and we see the panoramas of landscapes, and we look into, into the sky at night, and we see this apparently great expanse. But actually, that's tiny, tiny fraction we're actually seeing compared with what exists. It's like watching a TV channel. All the other TV channels exist at the same time, but you're not aware of them because you're only tuning to one channel. And this body tunes us to this one channel, to the perception when we are um, in a human form. This tiny channel is everything. It's, it's all that exists, but it's not. It's, it's, you know, if you said MSNBC is the only TV channel that exists, I mean, people would laugh at you. What are you talking about? Have you seen how many channels there are? But if you have only ever seen MSNBC and none of the other channels, and therefore you're not aware of them, 
it would be quite credible to you that MSNBC is the only channel. And that's basically the situation we're in, in terms of this reality that we're experiencing. But beyond it is infinity. And it's beyond it, beyond human sight, that this force ultimately that is manipulating human society exists. And these bloodline families that manifest in part as what's called the 1%, they are basically middle men and women manipulating the human society we're aware of on behalf of this hidden force. And so in this period, when I started to contemplate what is this common force that has to exist to be the overseeing force of this whole conspiracy continuing through history, again, synchronicity came into my life in so many and various ways. First of all, in what would it be about 1996, 96, 97, I came to America and I traveled America for about three months. And I was talking to not many people because not a lot of people wanted to know in those days, but it got me around. And I remember in a period of about 15 days, I think it was, I met in 12 different locations because I was moving every day to a different location, 12 different people who described to me the same experience. This is what I mean by the synchronicity of my life. And that was of seeing someone who first appeared to be human and then shifted into a non-human form. And this non-human form in these 12 people or so was every time it was a reptilian form. And of course, you listen to this stuff. And what I don't do is dismiss anything, but nor do I believe it just because someone's told me. So I put it on the back burner and, and I, I wait and see if any other information comes along that either, you know, destroys the idea or supports it. But then I started traveling and I was meeting ancient societies like the Zulu Society and uh, others. And they were telling me stories from their legends and their accounts about a non-human race, which often they described in reptilian terms, that was the force that was manipulating human society. And as this synchronicity went on, then I started meeting people from within the military intelligence arena in the United States, particularly, who were starting to tell me the same story from their experience. Then I started meeting people who had been involved in mind control projects like MKUltra, the infamous one in the United States, and other you know, aspects and expressions of MKUltra, who'd been basically mind captives of the US government military intelligence networks. And they were telling me the same story of what they'd experienced, which was of reptilian entities shifting between human form and reptilian form and also of reptilian entities full-blown reptilian entities in underground bases what they call dumbs deep underground military bases which there are legion in america as well as in other parts of the world and so you start to 
gather together this. And I came back to England from America where all this had gone on and, and the synchronicity continued. People in England started telling me. And, and by this time, I hadn't gone public with any of it. I hadn't written about it in books or anything. I was just trying to work out what the heck was going on and what was being told. So I come back to England without anyone knowing. I started meeting people here who were telling me the same basic story. This is the way my life has gone since 1990, A subject suddenly appears in my life and bingo, it's coming at me from all angles. And further along the road, I came across the, the writings of the Gnostic people, the Gnostic belief system, particularly um, those from a find at a place called Nag Hammadi, mm -hmm. about 70 miles from Luxor in Egypt, when in 1945, an earthen jar was found. And inside were these incredible writings of this Gnostic people mm -hmm. that is, it's estimated were put in that jar, maybe about 400 AD. And, and the, the information they're based on going back much further. And they were talking about a about a fifth of these writings were about a force they called archons. And they described the archons as in their base form being just pure energy, consciousness, a very manipulative form of consciousness. But pointing out that these archons did take form. And they described the major forms that they took as reptilian and like a gray fetus with big black eyes, which is takes you immediately into the whole area of the grays. Mm -hmm. And so putting all this together, looking at how the Gnostics describe the manipulative and the personality traits of the archons, took me straight back to the Zulus and how they were describing what they call the Chittahuri or children of the serpent and how you look at the Islamic world and the pre-Islamic world where this whole concept came from of the jinn. It was funny. I, I was in New York. I was in a taxi from the airport and the taxi driver who's a Muslim starts talking to me and we chatting and all the rest of it and I, we, I don't know how we did it but we got onto the subject of the archons and, and what have you and he said they sound like the jinn well exactly hmm. how the jinn are described by the Islamic and pre-Islamic world a force that operates outside of human sight but manipulates human society is precisely what the uh, archons and how the archons were described by the Gnostic writings found at Nagamadi and in the same way, it links in with what the Zulus talk about. And then you, you look at the Christian Bible, where they talk about demons. And, and again, the descriptions of, and actions of what they call demons are very, very similar, often the same as the archons and the, the jinn. So you start to see that all around the world, you've got these ancient societies that have passed their information on through the generations and they give their quote gods different names and mainstream anthropologists and historians have looked at them and they've seen the different names and thought they're different gods but my 
whole um, approach is to look at how these, quote, gods are described. And it's extraordinary how they're describing the same force, but just giving a different name to it because they have a different cultural context. So obviously they have a different name. But the evidence for this non-human force operating outside of human sight, manipulating human society, becomes immense when you go down these roads. And it explains so many things. For instance, people say to you, what if there's this force? Why don't they just come and take over? Well, if they could, they would have done, but they can't. They can't because they can't operate in our frequency band, our reality, for very long. They can come for a short time, but then they have to, they have to leave because they're frequency, in frequency terms, they're incompatible with this reality. This is why we have this network of interbreeding bloodlines and secret societies that operate in our reality on behalf of this hidden force. And when the Satanists, because invariably, it's another thing that happened, is that when I started investigating and researching these bloodline families, invariably you would end up with Satanism and pedophilia, because mm-hmm. pedophilia and Satanism is, is, are, are fundamentally connected. And so then you you ask, okay, you can say they're crazy and they're just doing these rituals, or you can actually say, well, hold on, they may be sick and they may be very disturbed, but they're not stupid because they are extremely adept for a start at manipulating human psychology. So what are they actually interacting with when they do these rituals? And What happened then, again, synchronistically, is I started to come across many, many people in different parts of the world who were former Satanists, often against their will. And they started telling me what happens in these elite rituals, very well portrayed, but totally underplayed. And he had to to get it in the film by uh, Stanley Kubrick in Eyes Wide Shut. If anyone sees the movie Eyes Wide Shut, it was Stanley Kubrick's last film. Mm -hmm. And there's a ritual in it, which is a major central part of the film, satanic ritual and sexual stuff and all the rest of it, where these elite are taking part in it. And he shot that at a mansion house in England, which was owned by the Rothschilds. And Eyes Wide Shut is so full of symbolism describing this stuff that that was no way that he did that by accident. And, of course, he died very shortly after um, the film was not even released. But when he put it before Warner Brothers to see the the foundation of it. Mm-hmm. And after he died, it's uh, reported that 25 minutes of it were taken out. What was left was really in your face if you know what you're looking for so what was in the other 25 minutes goodness only knows (laughs) but what i'm saying is the question was what when they do these rituals and the evidence that they're doing them these elite bloodlines and families is enormous what what are they interacting with why are they doing it and when you talk to these people who've taken part in these rituals with these famous people they tell you again and again that what they're doing is they're creating an energetic environment in the rituals. This is why they're they're using the same 
rituals that they did in, in the ancient world because the rituals basically create a fusion of the energetic field in the ritual and the energetic field where these entities operate from, where this force operates from. And it basically thins out the energetic difference between the energetic field of the ritual and the energetic field of where these entities operate. And it allows a gateway, if you like, an energetic gateway by creating often a vortex, which allows these entities to slip into the rituals, not for very long, but slip into the rituals within this energetic field that the ritual has created. And many, many Satanists who've taken part in these rituals have told me how they've actually watched these entities manifest in the rituals, Hmm. the major elite ones, which, of course, are done on particular days at particular times of the year, Halloween and May Day and all the rest of it. The solstice. Beltane, yeah, because, you know, people think that things like astrology are kind of, you know, just nonsense. But and it might be if you read your local newspaper and it's giving you your horoscope for the day, it probably is nonsense. (laughs) But again, once you realize that the world is not the solid world we think it is, then things start to change. You look at a planet And it appears to be a solid entity, but in its base form, it's an information field. It's a waveform information field. And that waveform information field is moving through the greater waveform information field, the energetic sea, if you like. And as it moves through it, that information is being exchanged between the planetary field and the the wider field. So the wider field is being affected in terms of its informational state and its vibrational state by that planet's information field moving through it. And so when you then get a number of information fields forming particular connected sequences, what astrology calls trines and conjunctions and all this stuff, the sum total of those energetic information fields in their impact on the wider field is far greater than the individual impact, which is why they affect people in a more profound way than normal. And so we are energetic information fields. That's what the body is. It's a holographic expression of, of energetic waveform information fields. And we are interacting with this greater field as well which is being affected all the time by the information fields of the planets as they move in their sequences. So this field is constantly being affected. And because we're interacting with it on a waveform level, we are affected by it. And when you come into this reality, what we call birth, some people say conception, there is, you know, validity in that, I think, you take on a certain part of your energetic field is impregnated by the field, the wider field, as it is at the time you enter it. And that field is affected by where the planetary fields are at the time you enter it. 
Therefore, if you're born as I was on April the ninth, uh, April the twenty in that cycle, I'm going to take on a certain, if you like, astrological energetic field that was the field when I entered it. Mm-hmm. But someone a few weeks later or months later is going to come in at a different point in that cycle and is going to be, uh, if you like, impregnated by a different state of the field. And thus, as they move through their lives, they are going to be affected by the planetary field impacts, what we call astrology, in different ways Mm -hmm. because we are not the same energetic field. So therefore, these changes in the field that we're interacting with affect us in different ways. So that's why they have, this is your astrology. This is how this is going to affect you. But oh, this is how this is going to affect you differently like this. And to understand all this, it's to go back to the base state of everything in this reality, which is waveform information. And from that comes the holographic world of the apparently physical. So what you um, are looking at in these satanic rituals by this elite is they're interacting with this whole non-human force that's behind all this and one of the things to appreciate in terms of hierarchy is that the satanic hierarchy in the elite satanism hierarchy is the real power hierarchy in the world and not the hierarchy you see in the public arena so Someone like Alan Greenspan, who was head of the Federal Reserve for a long, long time, a very powerful position, was higher up the satanic hierarchy than boy George Bush, for instance, and people like Ronald Reagan and Bill Clinton, even though they were presidents and in the hierarchy of the scene were higher than the head of the Federal Reserve, in the satanic hierarchy, he was above them. And therefore, when you hear things like Ronald Reagan has appointed Alan Greenspan head of the Federal Reserve, no, no, (laughs) no, no, Alan Greenspan (laughs) tells Ronald Reagan he's going to be the head of the Federal Reserve. It's 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 this is how the hierarchy works. Right. And presidents are invariably nowhere near the top of the hierarchy. They're just here today, gone tomorrow politicians. Father George Bush was a little bit different. He was higher compared with most of them. But even he was nowhere near the top. And in the end, like I say, there's two worlds. There's these these bloodlines and these real deep secret society initiates and their interaction with their masters in the unseen. And then there's the rest of the human population that invariably, overwhelmingly, doesn't even know that other world exists and thinks that what it sees is how things are. It's not like things are at all. Right. Well said. That's a great breakdown. These things are complex, but you lay it out there in a pretty methodical way that people can understand. And you should. You've had plenty of time to figure out the best approach. And man, I know we're running short on time. I wanted to save a little bit of time for hope because there are so many poisons and harmful chemicals and signals in our society that can be tough to avoid. 
And of course, we can't trust the conventional medical system to help us. But I've heard you mention that you have a trusted doctor or healer of your own that uses a lot of alternative methods to keep you healthy. What sort of things are we talking about? What tools do you recommend for regular people to armor up their physical bodies so we can resist the big machine? Well, I do. It's a guy called Mike Lambert, a great friend of mine, lives just down the road. And he sees the body as an electromagnetic electrical frequency field. And he treats the frequency field, not the body, because the body is that we perceive is just a projection, if you like, a decoded projection of the information field. If you look at, for instance, Wi-Fi, what is it? It's a radiation field, which we can't actually see with the naked eye. It's a radiation information field. But you decode that field through a computer, and that field, the information in that field, will appear on your computer screen in a totally different form. And that's what we're doing. We are decoding information fields, and the world of the scene that appears to be outside of us actually only exists in our head when the brain decodes these fields into a holographic reality, which is the world of the physical. And so he treats the field rather than the body because the body is a projection of the field. The field is in harmony, so is the body. The field is in disharmony, the body's in disharmony, dis-ease. And this is why we come back to what I was talking about earlier, the effect of technologically generated frequencies. They are destabilizing the field, the information field. Thus, it plays through to distortions in the body, which we call ill health and psychological problems. So uh, it's a completely different way compared with mainstream medicine of treating the body. And it's incredibly effective. But there's another thing you see. The mind is constantly, consciousness is constantly giving out frequencies based on its perceptual state. And if you are in a perceptual state of harmony, then that is passed on to a frequency field state of harmony, which becomes a physical, psychological state of harmony. The mind is the master. Now, if you are in a state of stress, constant stress, which is what human society is constantly created to produce, then that stress is a distorted energetic frequency field. You feel distortion when you feel stress. And that stress from the mind and the emotional level of the mind is playing out through the body's information fields and it distorts them that's why stress causes illness that's why stress causes heart attacks that's why stress causes so many psychological problems because stress is a distorted frequency a very low vibrational frequency you've mentioned a few times tonight about toxins in the food and the water and, and all that stuff what are they okay in the decoded world they are poisons and toxins, etc., and appalling additives to food. But what are they in their base form, like everything is in its base form in this reality, as a waveform frequency? 
they are a distorted waveform frequency. That's what toxins are. That's what toxic additives to food are, toxic additives to drink are. And thus, we are introducing, if you are looking at the energetic waveform level, for which everything is a projection, we are introducing into our bodies distorted low vibrational frequency fields where we consume this stuff. We are making them part of us. And that low vibrational distorted frequency state that we call toxins and food additives and all this other stuff then distorts our energetic field and causes ill health mentally and physically. This is the level it's all going on at. And it's the level that people miss because they're so focused on the physical, the five senses. The entire entirety of human society is founded on holding people's attention in the five senses. This is why so many people cannot perceive anything beyond the physical world, because that's all they can see. That's all they interact with. That's all they experience. But when you allow your consciousness to expand, and it, it is not a case of making your consciousness expand. Your consciousness should be naturally in an expanded state. That's, that's his natural state. What holds it in a limited state is perceptual programming. It's the perceptual programming that is keeping us in these states of P-like focus, where the five senses are all that we can conceive. And so when people say, I'm waking up, what does that mean? You're deprogramming. Because our natural state is expanded consciousness. We live in an unnatural state of consciousness isolated from its natural state by perceptual programming. And therefore, the answer is not stockpiling weapons to fight the enemy. It's deprogramming from the program, which once the program is gone, our consciousness naturally expands because that's its natural state. It's the programming, the perceptual programming that's holding us in this unnatural state where we perceive ourselves in such limited, I can't, I have no power terms. The answer is to break through the programming. And once that happens, everything else follows. Mm. Well said, and let that be the lesson for the day. The real conspiracy is based in frequency with a little perception management sprinkled in for good measure. But believe it or not, that pretty much brings us to the end of the line. You are the man and a true inspiration. Before we go, you got to tell the people about the stuff you got going on now. The new film, the new book, what should they know? Yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm in quite a, a quite a period of, creativity at the moment on uh, june the 4th just a few days from now a movie comes out you can access it via davidike.com all the details are there which is called renegade and an american film company not not a supporter of my work but just thought my story would be a good story approached me to make the film and we did we made it in about four countries and basically, it's a fly on the wall film about my life and work. And how it's turned out is 
I think, fantastic. I had nothing to do with the editing of it, but it's turned out fantastic. And the premieres have gone down an absolute storm because the theme of my life is just the backbone of the film. The film is absolutely jam-packed with information about the world and how it works and reality and how it works. And therefore, it's about an hour and 40 minutes long. And it's a movie that will have a lot of information for people who are aware of it, aware of some of what's going on. But it's also designed to introduce people that know nothing about what's happening to this information. And I know from feedback from the premiers where people who've, you know, into my work have taken friends along to watch it, who know nothing about it, me or the information or anything. And it's had a profound impact on them. So uh, I, I want to get that out as far and wide as possible, especially in this realm of censorship we have now. And I've just finished a new book. It's called The Trigger. And it's a book that's basically two books in one. First half of the book demolishes the official story of 9-11. And the second part of the book reveals basically who actually did it. And it wasn't 19 hijackers from the Middle East. And although you know the theme is 9-11, it's going to come out on September the 11th this year. People will be able to pre-order it pretty soon, like the end of July. And that's really important, more important, the pre-orders than any other book I've written, because we want as many books in circulation as possible before the system knows what's in it, because it's going to be, I can tell you, phenomenally controversial. And if people think I've been demonized up to this point, well, stick around. You've seen nothing yet. <laughs> so the theme may be 9-11, but what it reveals expands into the whole picture of what's going on, including the, the real background to the AI technological agenda and where it's actually being generated from. So um, it's going to be an interesting year, A, because the movie uh, is, has got great potential for introducing this information to a whole host of new people. And also the book is going to, well, to say it's going to be controversial is like saying, you know, it's a bit cold sometimes in the Antarctic. You know? <laughs> so we'll maybe talk again in the autumn, mate. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that would be my pleasure. I look forward to it, uh, both the book and the film. 9-11 was definitely a trigger for where we are now, so it's a great title. And your story is a good story, so I look forward to the film. And David Icke, you are my spirit animal. Keep doing what you do and take care out there. Yeah, it's been a real pleasure. Nice to talk to you. The power of Christ compels you, Hireside Chatters. Mm, welcome to the end of the show. We did it. THC got its David Icke merit badge, and I feel fine. Seriously, though, David has had a huge influence on me. You know, everybody has their preferred flavor. Some like Alex Jones, some like David Icke. And both are ultimately saying that our reality is run by multidimensional child abusers, so tomato, tomato. 
It's just my personal opinion that to an outsider, which is 90% of people, Alex Jones's tone and aggression, never mind what he says, but how he says it, makes us all look bad and crazy. But either way, David has never thought that Trump was anything but another puppet, and he hasn't gotten sucked up in certain conspiratorial cul-de-sacs like a lot of his peers have, and he's just as poignant as ever. I would recommend that anybody watch his near 10-hour presentation at Wembley Arena. I could find parts 2 through 4 on Amazon Prime for free, but just not part 1 for some reason. And I think his best bit that we didn't get on the books today is about climate change. First, you implant the idea that extreme weather is coming, and it's because of human energy use and... Yes, you can siphon up a lot of money with carbon tax credits and higher energy costs, etc. But they're always robbing us. What's unique about this particular campaign is that once you implant the idea of extreme weather being a new normal, you can then use all your weather weapons without any suspicions and carry out your campaign to destroy the last remaining independent farms and get people off the land and moving towards controllable smart cities. To me, that's absolutely the game. California has wildfires and droughts when rainmaking technology and ritual have been around for a long time. So clearly they want fires across California, especially in areas of old money where people definitely didn't plan on moving or selling until all this happened year after year. But you know, that 3D meat space stuff all does start to feel a bit trivial when the overall theme is that we are infinite awareness having an experience, and we shouldn't get too wrapped up in identifying with the geopolitical chess game circus sideshow, so there's that. But I'm a happy guy, been doing this show for a long time, and today we reeled in a pretty big fish. Thanks to Ron Patton from Paranoia Magazine for playing a hand. Of course, I think we all know David is the kind of guest who really doesn't need a host. And I know even in two hours, I'm only going to get a few questions in. And I did wish we could have gotten deeper into the Saturn Moon Matrix, as well as a few other space-related questions. But he is right. It's pretty complex to detail all that in a podcast. But it's also a fascinating aspect of the Ike model for the big conspiracy. In fact, I don't really talk about the t-shirts in the higher side store very much, but I use the Archon Control design as the image artwork for this show because that artist did an amazing job, and it's a great representation of an Archon-controlled Saturn-broadcasted control grid. But anyway, I like that David cites Ringmakers of Saturn. I really tried to have Norman Berggren on about a year ago. I believe he is in his 90s now. It didn't happen, but he presupposes that Saturn's rings are being created and maintained by some sort of ships or equipment going around the planet. It's wild stuff. And then even beyond the solar system, what is with the Lyra symbolism and the Orion symbolism and Sirius, the dog star? I'm sure we could have gone pretty far down the cosmic rabbit hole, and that would be great for next time, which it sounds like there will be. Please, if you talk to David, let him know that you heard him on the Higher Side Chats, just so he knows he didn't waste his time. We have a pretty large and passionate audience, but it's also good just to make sure the guests we want to talk to again are aware of that. 
But so much of what we did talk about is consistent with a lot of the bright minds for these troubled times we've been talking to. I think a lot of us are worried about the same things. How can I keep myself and my family healthy when I can't trust this medical system? How can I get out of this economic slavery situation so many of us are in? How can I really change my mindset like these gurus talk about? What the hell's going on with the military and UFOs all of a sudden? How can I avoid 5G but still watch the latest episode of Handmaid's Tale in a seamless buffering environment? You know? Or better yet, how can I watch Renegade, David Icke's new film? I haven't seen it myself yet, but it's definitely on the list. Of course, if this is your first episode of the Higher Side Chats, I hope you stick around. I do what I can to bring you the best. Almost eight years of shows in the archives, no commercials, no banter about the weather, and no need to interrupt the guests to tell them my life story. Though the temptation is always there. And yes, the first hour is free, and the second hour is part of the Higher Side Chats Plus subscription. Five shows a month, the full archive, the plus forum, a couple of bonus shows, yada, yada, yada. Eight bucks. Help me help you and get twice as much show. In the second hour today, we talked about our current place in the timeline, the AI endgame, and the Archon's overall agenda. David's thoughts on the recent mainstreaming of ufology. Clearly something going on there. And it really synced up with the last episode and Joseph Farrell's ideas about mind control technologies, I thought. And another thing we did get into today is the archonic hijacking of the death cycle. If they can control the entire 3D meat space reality layer, maybe they've got a plan for the reincarnation cycle too. Go to the HigherSideChatsPlus.com to sign up, or in the very near future, just go to the HigherSideChats.com because our big website infrastructure overhaul is coming very, very soon. I invested in a great team. We are bringing the two websites together, and yes, it's a beautiful thing. I've seen it all working in test mode. If you're logged in on the higher side chats, then all the shows just magically turn into the plus versions. You don't have to go anywhere different, one website to rule them all. And so be on the lookout for any sort of issues connecting to your feed for both free and plus. I'm working hard with them to make sure it's a smooth thing for everyone. But I should tell you to pay a little extra attention to making sure that however you listen to THC, whatever app you might use, is still updating and plugging into the site and all that. It should be fine, but just know we're in a transition. The site looks awesome. It's all going to be great. And I've got a few real wild shows in the works that I've recorded this week, and I'm going to be getting them out to you soon as well. Until then, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. I've done my part. Your move, perception managers, archonic agents, and interdimensional overlords of the Saturn Moon Matrix. Your fucking move. Oh no, you see, the world isn't random, it's attached to puppet strings, control over. Everything The nine to five is trying to steal ya Now don't that job seem silly Hello Can you hear me? Or should I play back recordings From some spike agency Wish we were younger 
time. 